Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, good morning. How we doing? Oh, yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, My name is Marcus uh, Williamson, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church. If I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, I would love to meet you at some point after the gathering, get to know a little bit about your story and all of that. So before we get kind of everything started, I know Kent asked this before already. I think he asked this about a couple weeks ago, but now that Thanksgiving has passed, who has their Christmas tree up? Anybody? There's a few of us. Okay, okay. More than I thought. More than I thought. I love it. Who's listening to Christmas music? I haven't done that yet. Who's listening to Christmas music? I love it. I love it. Um, I asked my life group guys that question about a couple of weeks ago. And one of the guys, it was, it was actually like a mixed reaction. And one of the guys even said, hey, you know what? I'm going to protest I'm going to protest and not even going to put up a Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. How about that? How about that? He's actually in the room today. I won't tell you who he is, but he's in the room today. Um, <laughs> and for me personally, that is a first, right? Protest by Christmas decoration. Crazy. Who would have thought it? So now that we've kind of gotten you know, the important things out of the way, Uh, If you are new here, again, just want to say welcome. Let me go ahead and catch you up of where we are. We are a few weeks into Good News for All People. Um, That is a series that we are doing where we're spending our time talking about the good news of Jesus and how that specifically impacts a specific uh, uh, groups of people who are vulnerable to various things. And so in the ancient world during Jesus' time, those people would have been the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. And we announced in week one of the series that we've put together a list of modern-day equivalents to those uh, same people groups. And so they would be single moms, the homeless, um, refugee families, foster children, and exploited women. And as a church, we'll be caring for them in uh, various different ways. And one of them is by bringing items to the gathering, actually, uh, each week for uh, each group. And so this week, if you were able to, um, you brought coats for the homeless uh, in our city through uh, Knox Area Rescue Ministries. And as I can see, there's a, there's a good bit of coats. So thank you guys so much uh, for doing that. Really appreciate that big time. Um, <clears throat> and so there's that component. And then the next component we talked about was that each week we would actually take a portion of our teaching and actually talk about these various people groups. Um, and so last week, Kent talked about actually how God is a defender of the widows and how he's a defender of single moms and how he calls us to actually be the same kind of defender uh, uh, to those people, to single moms. And so today what we're going to talk about is how God cares a lot about the poor and how he is calling us, you and me, to actually love and serve them. Now, 
I'm sure a lot of thoughts may be running through your head right now when you hear me say that God is calling us to love and serve the poor. See, he's not, he's not making it a suggestion, right? He is actually calling us to love and serve the poor. And those two things are very different. Um, and to that point, I think when we look at this list, <clears throat> this list of single moms, the homeless, foster children, refugee families, and exploited women, it can be very easy to kind of get on board with all of them except for the homeless in many ways. Because it's easier to see all of them as victims of injustice, right? In other words, something actually happened to them that put them in the position that they're in. But with the homeless or with the poor, it sometimes can feel like you just don't know exactly how they actually got there, right? On one hand, they could be victims of injustice, but then on the other hand, they could have probably, you know, put themselves in that position. Maybe they were careless, or maybe they, you know, had uh, uh, certain actions that actually landed them in that spot. It could be a number of different things, and because of that unknown, and because of our society and how we are driven by this idea of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, sometimes our hearts don't actually naturally go out towards the poor. In many ways, we assume the worst. We assume the worst rather than naturally viewing them as victims of injustice. So here's, here's kind of what I want to try to do today. I want to help pull our hearts a little closer to the heart of God when it comes to interacting with the poor. Now, here, here's something that I know about hearts. Here's something I know. It's that the heart can actually care one minute and then in the next minute, the next hour or two, disregard whatever it was caring about not too long after. Something uh, uh, for us to be praying for uh, is for our hearts in this moment while we listen to this sermon. Can I encourage you to do that? Like while I'm talking, you know, going throughout all of this while we're reading scripture and, and trying to show all of these things, definitely be praying that your heart would move closer to the Lord in all of this. And honestly, you know what? Let's actually do that right now. Let's, let's pray. Um, we'll do that. And then when we start getting into it, definitely still be praying about it. So let's pray. Um, Lord, uh, first off, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you so much that we get to kick it with one another to be able to worship you and to be able to be in fellowship with one another. Um, Lord, I just want to pray uh, for our hearts that you would move it closer to you, um, that you would um, help us to have ears to hear uh, when it comes to actually participating with you in loving and serving and caring for those who are poor. Lord, you're the only one that can move the needle. Spirit, you're the only one that can move the needle. And so I just pray that you would help us, not just in this season, not just in this season, Lord, um, when everybody is, is talking about it, when everybody is, um, yeah, help us, help us to, to, to be about this, Lord. Not just to talk about it, but to actually be about 
this. Um, yeah, Lord, we love you. Um, thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's kind of how I want to break this sermon down. Uh, I want us to talk about what poverty is, uh, what poverty is, and then why we should care, and then lastly, how we should care. So what poverty is, why we should care, and then lastly, how we should care. And so first up, what poverty is. Um, for many of us, um, I'm sure we can all like kind of feel like we can spot poverty from a mile away, right? We see a homeless person, you know, down in Market Square or wherever on the street, you know, asking for money or asking for food. And typically when you spot that, you're like, okay, that person is either homeless or they're poor or whatever. Like you can spot that. Maybe it's a homeless person who has a sign up or something and you're like, okay, I can kind of spot that. If you are a parent in the room or if you, you know, deal with kids at, on any stretch, uh, um, maybe you see a kid who is dressed in the same clothes, you know, for most days of the week. Maybe you see uh, a, a kid who has hand-me-downs that actually don't fit them properly. All of these uh, are definitely signs of poverty, but poverty can be so much more than just that. In all honesty, poverty can actually be uh, uh, the person sitting right beside you and you not even know it. And so what you might not know is that there are 37, last year, there were 37.2 million people living below the poverty line. 37.2 million people, uh, which is around $26,500 for a family of four. To say it another way, there were approximately one in nine people living in poverty last year, and all of them were not homeless. These were people who were just kind of scraping by to get food. These were people who were just scraping by to make rent. And honestly, these were people who were trying to figure out whether to pay for rent or to pay for food, and they were going back and forth. These are people who, who look very normal on the outside, people who were high-functioning and all of that, didn't want to ask for a handout or anything, but were struggling to get what we, what we would call the basics. And so I've, I've told this story uh, kind of before, but I remember when I did freelance, and um, I could be wrong, but I feel like for me personally, I probably lived below the poverty line, potentially. Uh, again, freelance doesn't make a lot of money. And really, the only way I personally survived was because of the generosity of uh, my parents and my friends. That was the way that I actually got to having the basics, basically. Um, and if it wasn't for them, who knows? Who knows where I could have been? And for all intents and purposes, on the, out, you know, on the outside, I was high-functioning had this bubbly personality and all of that. All the while, I was still struggling when it came to finances. And so when I say, you know, the person that's sitting beside you could literally, you know, be uh, below the poverty line, I actually do mean it because I grew up in a church like this. I was around in a church like, like this when I was doing freelance. And that's where I was personally. Now... I say that, again, just to reiterate that poverty isn't always obvious on the outside. 
Now, generally speaking, you have kind of two schools of thought when it comes to causes of poverty. So one camp kind of believes that causes of poverty are only and primarily systemic. So people are mostly poor because of circumstances outside of their control. While this other camp actually believes that people are primarily poor because of bad personal choices. Their habits and choices kind of made them who they are today. So when you look at the Bible, though, it would say that there are actually a myriad of causes associated with people becoming poor. To be sure, there are social forces that actually do stifle the poor, whether that's oppression, you can check out Leviticus 19:15, or unjust low wages, that's in James 5, 1 through 6. In the Old Testament, the prophets would often blame the rich for poverty existing. That's Amos 5, 11 through 12. And then on the flip side, the Bible would also say that natural causes could be the cause of uh, uh, people becoming poor, such as famines, Genesis 47, floods, fires, and disabling injuries. But on the other hand, the Bible would also make it very clear that a lack of personal wisdom and discipline can actually cause poverty. You typically will see this all throughout Proverbs. So I'll give you a few. Uh, Proverbs 10, 4. Proverbs 13, 18, and then Proverbs 20, 13. Now, I just listed off a ton of Bible verses for you. Um, I don't expect you to write those down. Feel free to go online and check that out after this, or feel free to come after the gathering, and I can just give it to them, uh, give them to you after this. So the Bible, it, it makes it very clear that when it comes to uh, causes of poverty, it is both and, not either or. Poverty is caused both by systemic and circumstantial reasons, and it's caused by personal choices. There are usually several factors that actually coincide with, with someone being poor, and it's not usually as cut and dry as we may want it to be. In fact, I heard uh, uh, once someone, someone who actually works with uh, the poor population say that if you think poverty is only because of systemic injustices, or only because of a person's individual choices, you just reveal that you've never actually worked with poor people before. Because if you had, you would, you would realize that it's almost always a little bit of both. Now, the breakdown may be 50-50, it could be 80-20, or any of that. It could be any of that. But it's usually a little bit of both. Does that make sense? All right, so... So that is kind of what poverty is. Obviously, it's way more than that, but to boil it down, that is kind of what poverty is. But why should we care, right? That is the big question. Like, why should we care about those stats? Why should we care about all of that? What, what is actually going to move us to actually do something? Well, I think we can look at three overarching reasons given from the Bible for why we should care. First, because people are made in the image of God. Because people are made in the image of God. So the first motivation we can find in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild wild animals and over all creation or all creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own what, church? Exactly, image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So as followers of Jesus, we believe that God created us in his own image because of this passage right here. We image and we reflect, just like a mirror, who God is. So powerful. Uh, I remember growing up as a kid and, and being around my parents' coworkers or, you know, people at church when I was growing up, and they would always say, man, you look like your mom. Or, man, you look like your dad. When you turn this way or when you pull that mannerism or you do whatever, like, you look just like your parents. And I know for many of us in the room, like, we laugh because we've had that same thing happen to us, right? Like, that same exact thing, whether we liked it or not, right? Whether we liked it or not. Now, while we haven't seen God, there are people way smarter than me that have pointed out that, that there are actually things that, that we reflect as human beings uh, when it comes to the image of God. And so there's human rationality, there's personality, there's creativity, our moral and aesthetic sense, and our deep need for an ability to give love in relationships. And while we don't do these things perfectly, these and many more actually reflect and image our creator. So, so here's why we care for the poor, you guys. Here's why we care for the poor. We care for them because they look like their dad. We care for them because they look like their dad. See, we are, in fact, God's children. And with that comes the highest level of dignity and respect. The highest level you can reach. All of us have an inherent sense of worth. All of us have an inherent sense of value placed in us from the beginning of life to the very end of life. See, this is, this is why Jesus tells uh, uh, his famous story in Matthew that ends with him saying, whatever you did for the least of these, right? Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. See, he draws the line between how we treat the poor and the marginalized to how we actually treat him. And it's all because it's deeply intertwined. See, people, all people, regardless of, of income, social status, whatever, race, whatever, we are all made in the image of God. And that is a powerful motivator when you realize that. That's reason number one. Next up, because all of our stuff belongs to God anyway. Because all of our stuff belongs to God anyway. So the second motivator for us as followers of Jesus comes from Psalms uh, uh, 24.1 and then Psalm 50. So let's go ahead and check out Psalm 24 and we'll go from there, okay? It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything 
in it. We could have just paused right there, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We all live in this world. Yeah, we could do a whole sermon on that. Man, that's a whole sermon right there. Okay, all right, let's hit up the next one. We don't have all day. Uh, Psalm 50, and this is God talking, by the way. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all, somebody say all for me, the birds of the hills. Do you know how many birds there are? Have you ever, I could spend all day doing this. There's so many birds. He says, I know all of the birds on the hills and all that moves in the field is mine as well. And look at this next line. If I were hungry... If I were hungry, I would not tell you. If, if God had emoji eyes, right? If only we could just add those emoji eyes right beside it or the like, you know, the emoji where like he's like the steam comes out. Just tell me, you just put that right there. For the world and its fullness are mine. So you see uh, in this, uh, in these Psalms, and, and honestly, you see throughout the scriptures, it constantly teaches that God rightfully owns every single thing that there is. He owns it all. Everything in heaven and everything on earth rightly belongs to God. And while God gave humanity authority over the world's resources, you can see Adam and Eve's story for that, he never gave ownership over to us. Let me say that again. I may have, I may have gone a little too fast. I'm sorry. Hold on. While God gave humanity authority to us over all of the world's resources, he gave us authority. He never gave us ownership over it. And that, my friends, is an important distinction. See, we are stewards of everything on earth. We are stewards of everything the Lord has made. We are stewards of everything the light has touched. Yes, that is a Lion King reference. You're welcome. We are stewards, you guys. We are stewards, but the Lord is the creator and therefore the owner of everything in heaven and in earth, even our wealth, even our wealth. Now, you may be thinking, hold up, Marcus, hold up, pump the bricks a little bit. I worked hard for this. I worked hard to, to get where I got. I went to college. Maybe you didn't go to college. Maybe you're like, man, I just worked hard out the gate. I worked hard out the gate to get this house. I worked hard out the gate to get this car. I worked hard to get this food on the table for me and my family. I did this. I worked 40, 50, 60, please don't work over 60, but 60, you know, like that many hours 
to get this status. I earned this. I earned this. And I get that. I get that. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, puts this mentality in perspective really well. He kind of gives an illustration where he said that if you were born on a mountain um, in Tibet in the 8th century, it wouldn't matter actually how hard uh, that you would work. It wouldn't matter actually how hard you were driven. I'm sure we have some driven people in here. He says, ultimately, no matter how hard you work or how hard you're driven, you actually wouldn't have a lot to show for it. Uh, Let's sum it up this way. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose what family you were born into. You didn't choose how much money they would have, right? You didn't, like, before you were born, like, man, like, I really wish my family were millionaires. That would be so great. I can't wait to be born into this family. It's going to be so great. It's going to be so great. Like, none of us had that option, right? You didn't work hard to be born in America and not Tibet. You were born in the 20th century and not the 8th century. See, everything you have and everything you own, you owe at least in part to the time and to the place in which you were born. neither of which you actually earned at all. So while you may have earned a lot, you you didn't earn that. There's no mistake about it. And the closer we get to realizing this reality, that we are actually stewards and God owns everything, I I believe our hearts will actually move closer to God's heart when it actually comes to loving and caring for the poor. We have to realize this, you guys. That's reason number two. All right. <clears throat> last, last motivator. Voice is getting a little cracky. Um, because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. So the third motivator, it kind of flows into uh, what we just talked about. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9. It says this, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that through, you, through his poverty, uh, uh, sorry, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul here, he, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and right before this, he actually tells them, he says, hey, you guys have been excelling in everything. You've been doing it all. Faith, speech, knowledge, all of this stuff. But hear me say, I need you to remember one thing. I need you to remember the grace of giving. 
I need you to remember the grace of giving. So he starts out by saying, hey, I know I could command this. I could command, I am an apostle, I could command this, but let me motivate you in a different way, actually. What if we switched it up a little bit? Let me motivate you by reminding you of the grace of God. That, that God, through Jesus, has been sacrificially generous towards you, towards me. And because of that, we should also be sacrificially generous towards others. That's the tweet. That's it. That should be motivation enough to be able to give. This is not on the page, but I'm going to say it. Have you ever um, thought about or felt like uh, uh, your deepest regret or sins? Have you ever really thought about that at all? Does that ever, like, hit you? Like, I know a lot of times it's very easy to be like, oh, the Lord has forgiven me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Have you ever sat in that, though? It's, it is... It's the best way to say it. It is one of those things that I believe that for us as a church family, being able to really sit in that and, and feel the weight of that and then realize how much the Lord has done for us can be very powerful. Instead of just moving, you know, moving right along, it's very easy to just move quickly and be like, oh, I'm forgiven. It's true. That is a very true statement. But also, do you know how much you have been forgiven? Do you know the weight of that forgiveness? See, if you want to become someone who gives to the poor, and not just, you know, someone who gives, but someone who actually loves to give to the poor, someone who embodies this heart posture of sacrificial generosity, you're going to need to take a long heart at the cross. Because that is where generosity actually begins. The Bible says, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Amen? Jesus could go into the most sacrificial moment of his life and do it for the joy set before him. And if he can do that, if he can lay down his life, come from heaven down to earth, be born poor for our sake, if he can do that, then the same spirit that lives inside of him, that lives inside of us, can do something similar when it comes to giving to the poor. In many ways, if you put it on a scale, I would say that it's not really, you know, Jesus died for the poor, you know, like he's, he's, he's up here. So at the very least, we can do that, right? The very least, when we remember the grace of God, it will motivate us to give to the poor. I know we already talked about Keller in the sermon, but he says it, uh, kind of he sums all this up in his book, Generous Justice, and he says this, 
That is the real proof that you believe your sins have been atoned for and that you have truly been humbled by that knowledge and are now living a life submitted to God and shaped by knowledge of him. People who fast and pray ritually but still show pride and haughtiness toward the poor and needy reveal that no true humbling has ever penetrated their hearts. If you look down at the poor and stay aloof from their suffering, you have not really understood or experienced God's grace. Ouch, right? But I think a good ouch. I think a good ouch. See, understanding God's grace in our lives, like actually taking time to reflect on it would really do us some good. Um, Obviously, in everything, we should do that. It should just be a normal thing that we do in general. But when it comes to giving towards the poor, it really um, can change us. And the more we are able to think on the grace of God, the more we're able to kind of tap into this, remembering how our debt, the ultimate debt, was paid for. Then, and only then, will that soften our hearts in ways that we might not have seen coming. So, Assuming that we understand why we should care for the poor as followers of Jesus, let's go ahead and talk about how we should care for the poor. So for starters, there are a ton of ways. There are so many ways to be able to care for the poor, but I believe most of it can kind of be boiled down into one of these three categories. They're relief, development, and social impact. So first up, relief. First up, Relief. Relief is um, direct aid uh, to meet immediate physical, material, and economic needs. So if you've grown up in church for a while, uh, if you can think about the Good Samaritan from Luke 10, uh, where Jesus talks about a man who sees someone in need and provides for his immediate well-being on the spot. So relief does just that. It provides for the immediate well-being of someone who is poor. So what does that look like for us when it comes to those who are poor in Knoxville? Well, for starters, I think that looks like uh, what many of you have already done by bringing coats to the poor. Um, we often say things uh, to the poor like, hey, go get a job, or hey, go take responsibility for yourself. But if we're all honest, it's kind of hard to get a job and hold a job if you're literally trying to thaw out from sleeping on the streets the night before. It's kind of hard to, to take responsibility for yourself if you're literally, you know, you, you can't think straight because you haven't eaten in three days. It's very hard to do all of that. See, for the poor to even have a fighting chance, they often need some of their immediate needs addressed and provided for. Now, as I stated before, food is also a category uh, of relief for those who are poor. And while there are plenty of avenues for the poor to be able to, re to receive food, one of the ways those who are poor can receive food is actually through your generosity. It might look like gift cards. It might look like buying them food from a nearby restaurant or a convenience store or whatever. And at the very least, it shouldn't look like always passing them by when everyone else does the same. Parents in the room, um, 
and specifically parents with school-age kids. This may look like you not only paying attention to your kids, you know, during school functions and all of that stuff, but uh, also paying attention to other kids in the classroom as well. One of the best things you can honestly do, parents, is, is to ask your kid's teacher if there are any needs outside of the classroom for kids. This is how you can proactively be the hands and feet of Jesus and show your kids actually what generosity looks like. So first is relief. Next is development. So development is when you are able to give a family or an individual or even a community um, something they need to be able to, to kind of move out of that relief stage and kind of move into self-sufficiency. And so we could check out Deuteronomy 15, uh, 13 through 15, and we'll kind of get a picture of how development works when it comes to someone being enslaved because of their debt and then being released, to, uh, being released due to God's grace. So God says this to the former uh, master. He says this, and when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Is that God's grace, right? That is why I give you this command today. So Paul at the top, you know, he said, hey, I don't, I don't command you. You know, I'm here saying I don't command you. But God's saying, hey, I, I'm kind of commanding you to do this one. Um, so God is directing the former slaves or uh, former masters to give liberally to their former slaves in response to them once being enslaved in Egypt. And this idea of kind of giving liberally is an over and above act uh, uh, that would essentially set up these former slaves to be self-sufficient in life. And so they got some of everything. They got grain, they got resources, tools, animals, you name it. They got a ton of stuff. And these were all things that allowed them not only to have enough for the day, whether that was food or shelter or whatever, enough for the day, but actually provide for themselves long term. And not just for themselves, for their families. Now, while many of us don't have all of the resources to be able to do this, for our purposes, development actually looks like us as a church family being able to partner with Knox Area Rescue Ministries, or CARN. So, for slightly over 60 years, CARM has been working to kind of help break people, uh, help people break out of a cycle of homelessness. And currently, CARM uh, does that by providing meals, emergency shelter, clothes, and programs that, to be able to help educate and support their guests, all while working to introduce them to the person of Christ. And so they have this thing called the Launch Point Program, and it is a four-week emergency program intended to help the guests get connected with community resources and to be able to build a plan to kind of get out of homelessness. And then they have this other program called the Berea Program, which is a 12-month residential life development program that is modeled around a work, learn, live, and serve model. And so what this does is teaches students the value of each of these areas and equips them to kind of engage uh, in them well. So CARM's hope for every guest is that they are able to move out of homelessness, uh, 
into a sustainable way that will not put them at risk of becoming homeless again, which is so beautiful. And as followers of Jesus and members of City Church and, and being a part of City Church, we get to actually partner with them and being the hands and feet in Jesus to those who are poor. So we have relief, we have development, and last, we have social impact, social impact. So often, it's not just that the poor need immediate relief, and it's not just that they need development. Sometimes there are actually unjust laws and systems and systemic injustices that actually make it harder for people who are poor to kind of climb out of poverty. We even see this in the Bible in places like Isaiah 10, 1 through 2. It says this. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. So sometimes it's not just that the poor needs relief. It's not just that, that they need to make better decisions for the long term. It's that they, they actually need certain unjust laws and systems to actually be corrected. And that is where social involvement or impact kind of comes into play. See, social impact takes development a step further and starts to create persistent and, and systemic change in the communities that don't actually have a ton. And because God has blessed us, we are called to be a blessing to others less fortunate than us. That is what we are called to do. And so for us, maybe this looks like actually moving into a neighborhood that doesn't have, you know, all the fanciest things and all of that stuff. And to be able to help create systems in that neighborhood, in that community, through community involvement of some kind. Parents in the room, maybe this looks like doing the same thing and making an impact in the school system that your kids are going to right now. For many of us, maybe this looks like voting in local elections and attending city council meetings because it would be a good look for us. You could also support organizations that work to kind of push back on systemic poverty and unjust systems in our world. No matter what you do and all of that, to be able to have that type of impact, make no mistake about it, just like with the rest, you will be moving closer and closer to God's heart. So those three ways, relief, development, and social impact, are ways we as followers of Jesus can actually impact the lives of those who are poor. Now, I know we've talked about a lot, and I know this can feel like a lot of stuff. Again, the sermon's going to already, you know, it's going to be up on the website and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, like, I know we've talked about a lot, and I know we can kind of feel this way. But hear me say, poverty is not a simple issue. We, while we did this sermon, we could probably have had a, an entire sermon series on just this. It is not a simple issue, and so it doesn't have a simple solution. But I truly believe by being informed and by being motivated by the grace of God, we can be a tangible part of providing and caring for the poor in immediate and long-lasting ways. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you so much um, again, just just for this time um, to be able to hear from to hear from your word, to hear how you care and love the poor. Lord, I just want to pray for um, our hearts in the room, for those who are watching online today. Um, will you help move our hearts? Will you help convict us in ways um, that we need to be convicted? Lord, for, for those of us who, who are giving, who are giving at the poor, who are working with the poor now. Lord, will you help us to continue to have a heart for those who are poor? Will you help our hearts to continue to move closer and closer to your heart? Will you continue to help us to have sympathy? Will you help us to be driven to help the poor, Lord? I said it before, but Lord, we cannot, we cannot do this without you, Lord. Our hearts so wild. It'll, it'll care one minute and, and not care the next. And so, Lord, you have to continue to help us to care. Will you help remind us that, that everyone is made in your image? Lord, will you help remind us that, that everything that we own is yours? Lord, finally, will you help us to remember your grace for us? Will you allow that to, to wash over us, Lord, to actually ponder what your grace means for us, Lord? Again, thank you this time to be able to worship together. Yeah. We ask all of this, Lord, in your name. Amen.